You're listening to the NFL on TuneIn. It's No Huddle with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. It is always a pleasure to chat with one of the best in the business, Peter King and the MMQB. Even better to see him in person. Peter, with all the awards you've won, all the achievements, did you ever envision the glory of covering a Super Bowl inside a mall? <laughs> you know what? I got to ask this question because I could just imagine a football lifer like Bill Cower or Bill Belichick or, or, you know, or somebody who's been doing this for a long time say, uh, Coach, he, uh, we're, we're playing in the Super Bowl in Minneapolis and your hotel is going to be connected to the biggest mall in the world. <laughs> and you're not going to have to worry about your players going out after curfew. You're going to have to go find them in the Aeropostal <laughs> store after curfew. It's, this, is, this is the funniest thing, isn't it? It's, it's incredible. Cool. It's really cool because yeah. when, you, when you look around you know how sometimes when we go to search certain sites, like in San Francisco, you're trying to leave out of the place that we're in on Radio Row and grab something <laughs> yeah. to eat. But when you look right across, you have the food court, you have all the candy stores. Brian and I was talking about going into this this foot spot next to us because there's a lot of candy and all that good stuff. So it's pretty neat and um, it's pretty exciting. But with saying all that, when you look at this Super Bowl and, and you have Nick Foles. I mean, you walk into the hotel, you see the big banner with Nick <laughs> Foles and Tom so Brady. Crazy, like, how do you it? put that in perspective into words considering all the Super Bowls you've covered? Uh, you know, look, uh, I was talking to Al Michaels the other day for my podcast, and he said, so I've done – this will be my 10th Super Bowl. And each one of the previous ones, each one of the previous ones uh, is uh, – I've had a backup quarterback. Or, I'm sorry, in two of the previous ones. So – so he said, I'm really used to this. He had Hostetler, uh, and I forget, he had another backup quarterback. What Earl but Morrill? That was before no, Al's time, right? No, But, you know, I, I, look, I'm like everybody else, Cordell. I, be, I believe when we were headed into this that there is no way that Foles was going to be able to, to, to hold his own going into the Minnesota game. But then in the Minnesota game, like I, I, so I did some work over the weekend, and I watched both the Atlanta playoff game with Philadelphia and then the Minnesota playoff game with Philadelphia. I watched them both back on tape. And so I'll tell you what I found. I got tremendous respect for Doug Peterson as a play caller because the game he called against the Atlanta Falcons was totally different than the game he called against the Minnesota Vikings. He was throwing horizontally. Foles was against the Falcons take no chances and now he's throwing vertically mm -hmm. against the Minnesota Vikings and I think you know everybody said man what happened to the Vikings secondary they just got they got they got schooled by Nick Foles how does that happen well because they expected everything to be dink and dunk and to be horizontal and then they see nick Foles throwing the ball 40 yards downfield to alshon jeffrey throwing a 41 yard beautiful throw to tory smith off a flea flicker i congratulate doug peterson for having the presence of mind to say you know what part of calling games is to call some change-ups, and that's exactly what he did well i, I mean to, to to follow up what you're saying it goes all the way back to the super bowl last year and how did New England in the second half beat the Atlanta Falcons? James White, he gets nine catches for 100 and something yards, and I'm watching this game against Philly, and the Falcons could not cover the backs out of the backfield on the little simple swing routes. Now, this is something that Carson Wentz has done at the very beginning of the season because he brought the same plays from North Dakota State where the back is a yeah. big part of what they do. 
And you thought Atlanta would have figured it out when they played them, but great job, as you mentioned, by Doug Peterson to be able to acknowledge that their linebackers are having a tough time to get to the flat to cover those receivers. And then you mentioned the vertical part in the Minnesota game. I thought it was great. Cordell, I want to ask you a question just from a personal standpoint. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I can't help but think about Carson Wentz right now, okay? Six weeks ago, this was a, a solid, maybe, maybe the MVP of the NFL. He gets hurt. He's out. And, you know, I, I just, having played the position, right. being the nerve center of the team, having played the position at the highest level of college football right. and at the highest level of pro football, I want you to tell me, what is Carson Wentz thinking right now? It's hard. It's hard because th- this is what I'll say about Carson Wentz. And sometimes, you know, because guys are so young, they don't know that they don't know. But in this case for Carson Wentz, he's been a winner his entire career starting back in college in North Dakota State. He's winning national championships every year in the FCS. But when you get to the National Football League and you see you have a, a pretty solid year last year, maybe gotten worn out because of the 16 games as opposed to 11 or 12 games, he now comes into his second season and jumps on board as if he's in rare form. And now all of a sudden you can't play on the best dance, like the prom of high school. You can't play on the, on the field or be on the dance floor. And you floor see the best somebody dance. doing it's, it. Oh, it, it should it's, be your job. It's Molly Pip comes to mind, right? It's, it's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be a very odd sensation mentally. It's, it's tough because now it's like I know I brought relevance to this position into this city. The fans have the big hot air balloons of myself floating in the air down certain yeah. streets, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I cannot be a part of the biggest game of all time. And this is the beauty of it. It's Nick Foles, I think, has been a true gentleman. I yeah. think he's been a true sportsman. And he's been so humble to where he's not necessarily, I would say, being combative or competing with that energy of him being the starter and getting it done with Carson Wentz. He understands that this is Carson Wentz's job. Right. Doug Peterson, I think he's been tremendous with it. He understands it. The teammates even, they've been, un- they've been understanding. And I think when you see that, it makes the injury and having to walk around with the cane and still high-five your offensive linemen and your receivers to be a little bit better, but yet at the same time, you're making sure that everything Nick Foles does on the football field is going to be as closest to what you've done as possible to where you can get a chance to hopefully win and beat the GOAT in Tom Brady and bring the ring back home so I can actually wear it and wear the, the, the jewelry and be excited <laughs> like you guys. That, that's what I think he's going through, and I think that's how he's dealing with it because it's been class across he the board in Philadelphia. He has been class, yeah. yeah. Chatting with our friend Peter King, MMQB. So reading your last column, terrific as always, the ride-along with Doug Peterson going to work. What should our listeners know about Doug as a person? Because there was the perception, air quotes on the radio, when he got the job, maybe he didn't have the intellectual heft of, say, Bill Belichick. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Sal Palantonio did a story last night on ESPN that I saw. It was really, really good. He made the point that, and I, I, I don't know what paper it was, might have been USA Today, but he said, because I, I, I didn't know this, I forgot it, that when Doug Peterson was hired as one of seven new coaches in 2016, he was the, uh, in, in terms of the hires that year in the seven, he was number seven as listed by this national newspaper. And so, um, you know, he, Sal was basically making the point that, look, nobody really expected a lot out of him. And a lot of people knocked this hire and they knocked it significantly. But I do think one of the things that I have learned being around Doug Peterson 
And then riding to work with him the other day, I rode from near his home in New Jersey. We rode about 25 minutes um, to his parking spot at the NovaCare complex in Philadelphia. And here was the most interesting thing. You know, he's not, he's been in a lot of big games in his career on the field, mostly as a backup quarterback, obviously. But like he played in Don Shula's 325th win, the all-time, he became the all-time winningest coach. Doug Peterson was the quarterback there because of injuries to uh, Dan Marino and Scott Mitchell. He's played some behind Brett Favre in Green Bay. He's played in some of these things. So he's, he's been there. And I think when I watch him call a game, I think he's a brilliant play caller because he can put himself in the minds of where that quarterback is. And so I think, I think that's one big part of it. And I think there's one other part of it. He doesn't make this game too big. And he's not making this game too big. And that's why I think, you know, I'm probably going to pick the Patriots, but I, I'm telling you, these Eagles are trouble. They're, they're, they're trouble. And I think part of the reason why they're going to be so good, honestly, is because Doug Peterson basically says, don't worry about the hype. Don't worry about anything. Worry about the player, the football player across from you and beating him. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think the thing that Doug Peterson has done and, and as a former player to now becoming a head coach and being able to have this type of success so soon, when you think of players that he brought in, like the LeGarrette Bunts coming from New England, he brought in the Chris Longs, he brought in the Jay Ajayis, he brought in Alshon Jeffries. And that's Howie Roseman, who deserves a lot of credit as well. And the Ronald Darby's of the world. But yet, being able to bring those guys in and utilize them very well to where Darby being one of the guys who caught the interception took it back to the house against Minnesota, is it that, you know, maybe because he learned behind uh, Andy Reid and, and he was a quarterback and understanding the nuances of the, of the football field is why he's having so much so much success and being in Philadelphia as much time as he has? Because that's a hard play to coach, hard place to coach as well as play. But I think he uses the Philadelphia part to his advantage, too, because he never has to worry about, uh, you know, I, I think I think one of his thoughts is, Cordell, he never has to worry about the players getting up or or thinking that they're in a place. It's got to be like playing in Heinz Field or Three Rivers mm -hmm. because every game you were going to play, it was going to be a nut house. You know, there was going to be it was going to be jam packed and people were going to be crazy helping your team win. And I think that's one of the but I think one other thing about Doug Peterson having been a player before is this when you look at the way he has coached this team he has been like bill belichick in that every game plan is a snowflake you do not know what you're going to see when you see a doug peterson coached offense chatting with peter king mmqb peter i think the word storyline is a media contrivance we use it too much so i'll try to pick a better word component We've talked about the backup quarterback issue with Nick Foles. Beyond that, what other components stand out to you this week? You know, everybody always thinks, and I think there's much justification for it, that when uh, Bill Belichick has an extra week to prepare, he's always really good. His coaches are always really good. That is such an all-star coaching staff, even though other than uh, Matt Patricia and, and Josh McDaniels, nobody really knows them. But it's a great coaching staff. And I think they do a great job when they're given extra time. But I also think that there's a component to the underdog status that Philadelphia feels that they're fine with that. They're fine with everybody thinking that this is David against Goliath. That's cool. 
There's one other one other part of this that that in my opinion is going to come into play. Okay, so Tom Brady doesn't move very well, and Philadelphia's uh, defensive front really showed last week that they can bother a quarterback and they can get to a quarterback even if they can't sack him. Chris Long just scraped his arm across Case Keenum's chest. He forced that first interception that led to the tie game. I think New England is going to have a tough time keeping the Philadelphia front from Tom Brady. Yeah, and the thing is, is, is going into this game, the last two weeks, this team has been considered as the underdog. And you know it's going to happen again, so you're going to see the little puppy hats, the little mask or whatever. Even though we know Bill Belichick is a genius, as you mentioned, when giving him too much time, this team in Philadelphia has truly responded to every single thing. Everyone. I mean, look, they, they just won the NFC Championship game against the best third down defense of this decade. Right. By 31 points. They put up 38 points on him. So, and 31 offensive points. This is uh, how Philadelphia wins the game is by simply playing football. Don't be thinking, hey, man, biggest game of your life. You know, don't be thinking that. Just play football. And, you know, okay, you're going to have a 35-minute halftime. You're going to have all these other weird things that you don't have during the season. Make sure that you get your leaders, your Fletcher Coxes, your Zach Ertzes, your Malcolm Jenkinses, you know, who've been down the road before, not necessarily in Super Bowls, although Jenkins has been in one. Make sure that they tell everybody, hey, listen, none of it matters. None of it matters except the guy across from you. So I was wandering through the greatness that is Radio Row. And if you want a collection of deep thinkers, it's right over there, 40 yards from us. And I know I'm loud and I project, but I don't scream. And someone was screaming, and I'm going to appropriate the thought, and we'll just have hopefully a more intellectual discussion here. Tom Brady in the same sentence as Alex Rodriguez and Lance Armstrong. And you know where I'm going here. Yeah, yeah. Is it fair to wonder how Brady gets better as he gets older? Here's what I say to that, and my feeling about it is very, very simple. If you've got any proof that Brady or any player in sports is doing anything illicit, then bring it on. If not, I, I'm just telling you, I don't want to hear it. Well, it's reckless. Yeah, it's, it's reckless. Yeah, I don't want to hear it. And the reason I don't want to hear it is that it basically tells me that you're giving no credit. And first of all, uh, you know, uh, Brett Favre, who was as destructive with his body as any uh, football quarterback in recent history, maybe other than Johnny Manziel, early in his career, Favre was a drinker. He's doing all the Vicodin. He's doing all this stuff. Favre had a great year when he was when he was 39 or 40 years old. Warren Moon had a great year when he was 40 years old, a great year when he was 40. And so, you know, look, if Brady's doing this when he's 47, Okay, let's have them. Let's have them drug tested every ten minutes. But I, I just, I can't. I, 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 I really dislike that because to me it says that we don't trust that you're doing this honestly. Well, give me some reason. Otherwise, shut up. Do you attribute it to how the game has changed as far as the rules are concerned? Because think about how practices used to be back in yeah. in a time in which we're talking about the other players like Tom Brady. Bars. Tom Brady last year, you know he. I, I saw him a week after the Super Bowl uh, at his place in Montana. We recorded a 76-minute podcast. I wrote about it, and he kept saying to me that the key to me is understanding how to work out and that the answer isn't for a quarterback, hey, go and lift more weights. 
It's not the answer for a quarterback. The answer to be to be a quarterback is to be flexible, to be pliable, to be strong, and and to understand that, and and to do everything you need to do. But don't just go in the go in the weight room and spend five months in the off season, you know, getting fifteen percent stronger in your upper body. That doesn't. That's not what a quarterback needs. I think he has learned that. Peter, last one for me. Your thoughts, perspective on the evolution of the big game as an event. There's that great picture with you and Mike and the Mad Dog. I think you were 18 years old. It was not <laughs> last week. How this thing has become a spectacle of Americana and pop culture. Well, the way it's changed in the last few years, honestly, uh, is that this is just my feeling that the NFL has made it possible for America to touch the Super Bowl a lot more. You know, here we are. You're going to have people just walking around you uh, the, the whole week. And I think it's kind of a cool thing. Somebody, a bunch of people here are going to get to clap Joe Montana on the back. They're going to get to say hey to Cordell Stewart. They're going to get to talk to all of these people who, you know, 20 years ago at a Super Bowl were in some hermetically sealed room where nobody would see them. And I kind of think that's good. I really, really do, because I think the NFL should be more in touch with their fans. I've said for years, teams should go away to training camp in part so that fans could get close to them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's ridiculous that teams all, most of them, the Steelers don't, but most teams now do their uh, off-season training, including training camp at their home facilities. I just think, I just think it's wrong. I just think it's wrong because I think that people ought to be able to uh, to say, hey, Cordell, how you doing? How do you think we're going to do this year? Whatever. I'm sure it, it, it gets old for players, but I think it's cool for fans who invest so much time and energy in the game. Is it okay to ask the question, who's going to win? Because it's early in the week. He gave me a pick, little bit of a lead. I'm, gonna, yeah. I'm, gonna pick, I'm picking, I think I'm going to pick New England. But the reason why I want to I want to see and listen to these teams in the next couple of days, um, I, I I don't I don't think I'm going to change my opinion, but I want to see and 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 see what happens in the next couple of days because I I really am fascinated by Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I like Philadelphia a lot, and I think they got a very good chance to win this game. But we'll see. I'm probably picking New England though. And we'll get the official confirmation, MMQB. Peter, thank you for your time, your insights, your contributions all season long. You've been a huge part of the show and looking forward to chatting with you as we move into the offseason. Thanks a lot, Brian. Really appreciate it. And thanks for the partnership. You've been listening to No Huddle with Brian Weber and former Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart live on the NFL on Tune. 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The National Football League is on. Tune in.